Good afternoon. Welcome to the Long Live Third Parties podcast. Free Press, Media Press, Inc., a third party's books publisher, sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Hello, Connor. How's it going? Good. How are you, Andrew? Not too bad. I can't complain too much. Welcome to the Long Live Third Parties podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I love a good podcast. So it's, uh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. Folks, today we have Connor Mulvaney, who is running for council in Pittsburgh for under the Green Party. So if we could get started by you giving an introduction to yourself and how you got involved in the Green Party. Sure, yeah. Um, so I uh, have sort of taken a, a winding path to finding myself getting involved in, in politics. Um, I became sort of green adjacent in graduate school uh, when I was studying sustainability at Chatham University and started getting involved in the anti-fracking movement in Western Pennsylvania. I interned for a group called Reimagine Beaver County, which was trying to provide a, a sort of alternative narrative or uh, <clears throat> a vision of a pathway, I suppose, um, away from petrochemicals. Um, if you're not aware, or listeners aren't aware, um, in Western Pennsylvania, there's an ongoing fight that started several years ago with uh, the shell cracker plant um, being sited in a small town in Beaver County, north of, of Pittsburgh. And it, it represents a really, really deep and powerful investment in not just natural gas, but other byproducts of it, namely ethane cracking or, or plastics production. And what my organization was trying to do was show that we, we needed to invest in other things like renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, transportation, in order to you know, provide more sustainable investments for the people that live in the region, but also ensure that you know, we, we have a more sustainable future and a, a livable planet, a livable Southwestern Pennsylvania for, for years to come. And uh, through that work, I started to, to you know, rub elbows with people in the Green Party and uh, you know, just meet people, Get, get working relationships with them. And I was always sort of aware of, of the Green Party, but not specifically involved. And in 2020, I volunteered for the Bernie Sanders campaign as a constituency organizer. Previously, I, I had just knocked doors for Bernie, done phone calls. And in 2020, the, the political climate encouraged me to, to get a little bit more involved. And Several several weeks or maybe a couple of months after I, I dove into that work with the Bernie campaign, he uh, he dropped out uh, and endorsed Joe Biden, and I kind of I kind of felt lost after that happened. Um, I've you know supported Bernie Sanders for a long time. I've I've put in some work, you know, trying to trying to support him, and I, I didn't know what to do. I, I felt like I had all of this energy and I needed to put it somewhere. Um, and the, the green party was, was there, you know, I, I had seen them previously at, uh, different marches and actions against, um, you know, local politicians and, and polluters and social justice, marching with social justice organizations. And I 
thought I'd, I'd give them a serious look and seriously consider, you know, what it means to be a member of the Green Party. And I started sitting in on meetings and instantly fell, fell in love. You know, I, I felt like I was right at home, uh, not just with this group of people as individuals, but politically. The Green Party of Allegheny County's uh, sort of balancing act that it does being an electoral political party as well as an activist organization, and really the Green Party as a whole, I, th- I think, does a really, really good job of, of doing these things at the same time. That, that really appealed to me. Um, because that, you know, that we talk about this in the green party all of the time. There's a lot of different strategies that you can take to affect political change and the recognition that some of the political establishments, not just nationally, but certainly locally are, are so entrenched and toxic that we, we just need to build something else. And the, the sort of direct democracy that being part of the Green Party entails is, is really, really empowering, I think. Um, you know, I, I quickly got involved with their policy committee. You know, I, I lent some brain power to building the counties, uh, the Green Party of Allegheny County's platform for 2021 and beyond. Uh, I marched with them through the uprising of last year and... Um, you know, I, I just let it let it snowball. I, I ran with it. And towards the end of last year, it was actually, I think, at a stop the um, or not stop the steal, excuse me, <laughs> Freudian slip count. It was a count every vote march um, last November. We were sort of discussing what was next for the local Green Party, just amongst individual members who happened to be there. And the um, Kelly, who is now our um, our party executive said, you know, we really just need people to, to run and, you know, something, something clicked. And I thought, well, my, my council seat is up soon. There's someone in there who certainly I think doesn't, doesn't have the best interest of his constituents in mind. And, you know, we, we might have a shot at, at, um, you know, winning, winning a seat. So it seemed like sort of a, a, perfect storm um and you know something that i've i've really enjoyed running it's been an awesome journey becoming part of our local green party so what issues is your campaign focusing on sure um there are uh obviously a lot of issues um (laughs) right now coming out of the pandemic um you know, one of the biggest ones in, in my district is affordable housing. Um, we've seen relatively high, uh, at least compared to the to the rest of the city of Pittsburgh, relatively high rates of evictions in our part of the city. Um, and that's that's against a backdrop of a recent history of displacement in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, we've lost a lot of people of color uh, within the city. They've moved to um, um, adjacent suburbs and other parts of the county um, and um, poor folks as well. Um, and of course, you know, there's, there's some intersectionality that, that happens there too, but the, some of the most vulnerable people in our city have been pushed out in places like Lawrenceville, the Hill district um, and city council is starting to 
try to do something about it. Uh, we recently had a sort of um, small sort of piecemeal inclusionary zoning bill passed through our city council that is just not not strong enough, um, will not give the city of Pittsburgh as a whole, um, you know, the, the power to self-determine who can live here and, and just leaves other parts of the city open to gentrification that's been happening for really the last, gee, I mean, I guess you could argue half a century um, since Three River Stadium was built. Um, it's, it's just been, um, it, it's, it's been strange to watch this continue to happen in slow motion when the city of Pittsburgh has, has had such a, a history. Every city in America has its own histories of gentrification, but um, you know, it's, it's hard to watch uh, city leadership deny that, that it's an issue. Um, on top of that, uh, everybody's aware of, you know, the fight over defunding the, the police. Uh, the city of Pittsburgh also, you know, chose to cut basically every city department um, besides our police force uh, last year in the middle of the pandemic. And it's, it's really shameful. You know, we, uh, <laughs> we were out in the streets marching last year, um, you know, against uh, police brutality um, for Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and um, Antoine Rose and other folks who, who've been mistreated by police and in our local area. And it's, it's clear that there's, there's change in the air and um, Pittsburgh mayor, Bill Peduto now, now former mayor, he lost his primary in May um, just was not receptive to things that people were saying in the streets, you know, many advocates tried to meet with him. Um, he met with, with some folks and uh, really the, the response that he gave to them was uh, less than uh, welcoming. Um, and really uh, the, the whole story comes down to putting your, your money where your mouth is and whether you're willing to make systemic changes. And, you know, the city administration made it clear that they weren't. Um, so I'm, I'm running to put money in city departments that will have positive change in people's everyday lives. Um, specifically, I'm concerned with our Department of Public Works. Uh, my district especially has an issue with getting snow plows uh, to them, which ironically, uh, my opponent four years ago ran on the slogan back to basics, which was kind of a, a dog whistle, if you will, um, that other good things happening in the city were, you know, not for this part of town. Um, but anyways, he's, he's chair of the uh, public works committee and yet, you know, it's been four years and we still have to call three one one down here to get our streets plowed. I think actually, in fact, I, I live on, I think one of the last streets to <laughs> get plowed in the city of Pittsburgh. And uh, I'm on, I'm on a bicycle. I get around primarily by bicycle if I'm not taking the bus and, uh, it's it, it's a challenge in the wintertime just to go to the grocery store to get to work to to do the the simple things and you know when someone runs on the platform of back to basics you, you know what what can you do besides laugh at that um you know he the incumbent anthony coghill failed at you know doing the the most basic uh services for his constituents um on top of you know having little imagination or or 
um, intention of you know, tangibly improving people's lives and, and making our, our district a better place to live. Um, so I, I would like to throw more money towards DPW. Um, the Department of Mobility and Infrastructure, you know, has a, a soft spot in my heart. You know, I, outside of doing this campaign, I'm a mobility advocate. Um, so I try to uh, particularly expand the city's bike network down towards its southern neighborhoods. Right now it's concentrated towards the center of the city and the eastern part of the city, um, trying to, you know, get those safe connectors to our part of town. And on top of that, expanding public transit, um, specifically the infrastructure that public transit uses, bus lanes, um, bus ways, and, um, you know, trying to advance micro-mobility between, um, you know, stops, those, those sort of last miles that are so important to, to make connections to with public transit. Um, and then finally, um, refunding the, the Office of Equity, uh, which was also cut. Um, you know, in, in the past year, um, and especially for, for such a new department within the city, um, you know, coming in at, at such a critical time in our nation's history, cutting it in favor of, you know, an inflated police budget that does little to do anything but, you know, brutalize constituents. Um, it's, it's unconscionable. You know, and, and to think that city leadership wouldn't would think that nobody would notice or wouldn't care, it 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 just still boggles my mind. And you know, it's it's almost all that I've been able to think about for the last six months or so, however long we've been running this campaign. Um, it it still just blows my mind. Um, you know, the decisions that have been made and in the past, um, you know, year, year and a half since we've, we've dealt with COVID, um, just a, an absolute lack of, of leadership at, you know, the mayoral level, the city council level, um, you know, we, we really have to, regular people like you and me have to run for ourselves, you know, to make our own lives better. Cause it's just clear that no one's going to do that for us. Right. No one, no one is going to save us. We have to be the candidates that we want to see running. And, you know, that's what I hope to bring to this race. That gives us a good idea of what you are standing for in your election. So what is it like to run for city council in Pittsburgh as it pertains to ballot access? Sure. Um, so I'm excited to say that uh, we on primary day did pretty much the, the full lift for getting onto the ballot. Um, that was, that was really, really empowering, um, as a, as a candidate, as the green party has, um, you know, a, a movement, um, you know, it, it was great that we got out there and talked to people and, um, got, got some support. Some people wanted to see a competitive, interesting race, um, and sort of a, a battle of ideas. Um, so our, our minimum signature to get on the ballot count was uh, 100. Um, we've gotten that already. We're going to continue to accumulate signatures throughout the summer as, as we start door knocking. Um, just to give ourselves a little bit of a cushion, you know, we were up against an incumbent who, relatively speaking, has unlimited resources, um, you know, an, an independently wealthy guy who 
gives himself 40 or $50,000 every time he tries to run for public office. Um, so it's, it's, that's, that's really the, because it's less of a ballot access question and, and more of an elections question, but um, that's really what we're up against as, as the green party is, is money. Um, and these, these outside interests in the city of Pittsburgh in particular, a couple of those interests are um, housing developers, you know, who are mainly responsible for, that gentrification that I talked about earlier, um, parking magnates, um, you know, who are fighting against the safe streets and the, you know, the breaking down of the car centric infrastructure that we have in the city that, you know, I, I personally particularly care about. Um, we have people that are involved in foundations, universities. Um, there's a lot of old money interests that are really, really entrenched in the city of Pittsburgh. And it's, it's difficult to go up against, that, um, you know, in and of itself when the election rolls around, but on top of that, um, to constantly be open to, um, ballot access challenges. Um, you know, we've, um, I don't, I don't know that this is necessarily a, a campaign secret, but <laughs> we, we've decided very early on in, in this process that, you know, we need to raise money and, and set some of it aside just in case we get challenged, you know? We, we anticipate that, um, you know, folks don't want to see democracy play out as, as it was designed, um, you know, being uh, open to, to challenges and, you know, not having a, a um, I guess, a, a clear pathway to getting on the ballot is, I think, one of the biggest challenges that candidates at, at my level will face. Um, and it, it trickles us down from the national level too, right? I mean, we are watching right now this national fight over um, elections reform and HR1 in particular um, has a lot of potential impacts for Greens across the country. You know, that elusive 5% that we've been chasing for, what, 30 years or so, um, you know, the, the incentive, the, the money that that would open up is in threat of being taken away. Um, if, if that were to happen, you know, what, what would that mean for greens at, at my level? I honestly can't, can't tell you, I don't know. Um, but not, not having access to financial resources, um, you know, is, is a huge threat to the party in particular and, and democracy. Cause unfortunately this, this is a lesson that I've, I think finally learned it's, it's been ingrained in, in my own brain a lot of election work is about money. Unfortunately, um, I tell people that when I fundraise, you know, it's, it's unfortunately partially about money. So, um, you know, we, we need help from little people like us and, and that's how this campaign is funded. I'm certainly not independently wealthy. Um, I don't come from a particularly wealthy background. Um, and that's, that's kind of the, the name of the game as far as, um, access goes, at least in, in my view is, you know, if, if you have the money to pay for lawyers and fend off challenges, you know, you have a little bit of an easier time, but if you're a bunch of regular people challenging a system that's, you know, so entrenched, you're, you're kind of out there on your own. Um, and, you know, I don't think that there's anything less democratic than that. We hope that you don't get challenged. If you do get challenged, we, cross our fingers that you'll overcome it. 
<laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, if if you or anybody else can uh, donate and you know help <laughs> help ease the financial burden of of the likely challenge, you know that that would help us out. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, we have to expect it. Um, greens across the state last year um, got got challenged a lot, and um, for I believe it was Jay Walker's um, um, state representative race. Um, on the other side of, of the city for me, some of our volunteers that were verifying the, the voter database with the signatures were sort of surprised, um, I guess, in a, in a sort of dark way that a lot of the people who we know, you know, the people that we organize with, you know, in, in everyday Green Party things, um, you know, uh, initiatives that we've been a part of for a long time, elections that we've worked on for a long time, um, were being challenged. Their their signatures were being challenged, and you know you'd be going through these lists and be like, "Oh, hey, I know Stephen. You know, I I know Kelly." Uh, and yeah, it, it, it's it's a a bit of a game for uh, you know the people in power. But you know when when you're just trying to fight to improve people's lives, it um, kind of insulting when uh you know the the opposition is is treating the election in that way but you know unfortunately that's the system that we inherited and that's the one that we have to try to try to win in if we want to change anything so you mentioned that to help your campaign out people can donate how would they donate to your campaign yeah sure they can go to uh, www.connor the number four pgh.com slash donate. Um, and that is Connor with, uh, two O's and two N's C O N N O R. Um, and they can, they can donate there. Um, easiest way is, is through PayPal. Um, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. I can, I can put those for the, in the show notes other than donating, how else can people help your campaign? Oh yeah, great question. Um, so folks can get onto our website. I think uh, there's a tab at the top that says "Get Involved," um, and I believe the address is uh, Connor the number four pgh.com/get-involved. Um, we are starting now to uh, ramp up for um, phone calls, uh, door knocking. Obviously, we we've already knocked a few doors in my district. Um, to try to bolster support for some local ballot initiatives during the primary. Um, but we're going to be ramping up both uh, phone calls and door knocking very, very soon. And I encourage uh, not just if you're in Pittsburgh, but if anybody across the country is is sympathetic to our cause and wants to get involved, you can certainly help us with uh, making phone calls. You can do that from anywhere. Um, so we would we would love to see some folks come out from wherever you're listening from. Sounds good. What books do you recommend to our audience? Ooh, um, also a good question. I uh, don't have as much time to to read as as I used to. Um, you know, I um, have been. I've always been a bit of a slow reader, um, but especially now, you know, because of the election, um, I've recently been reading. Uh, collections of writings from James Connolly. Uh, I started reading that 
um, around St. Patrick's Day of this year, um, partially with with my dad, who, um, you know, when he was about my age, thought of running for Pittsburgh City Council and, and was ultimately discouraged against doing it uh, simply because, you know, he didn't he didn't have enough money um, to go up against, you know, the incumbent and that that story of my dad wanting to run and, and choosing not to do it is something that, that really motivates me. Um, and so I'm, I'm obviously close to them. You know, if you couldn't tell from, from my name, we were of Irish heritage and, um, I'm in part of, you know, doing some, some of my own anti-racist work, trying to reclaim some of that heritage. And, um, Connolly, I think does a really good job of, um, you know, recognizing struggles, um, for Irish people in the diaspora and people all over the world. Um, you know, I think it's important for people to, you know, read, read that sort of history, the, the, that working class history, um, you know, in, in order to understand where we're coming from and, and where we have to go. Um, on top of that, I've also, even before I started reading Connolly, um, I've been working for a long time on reading a complete history of cross country um, which I think was by Andrew Boyd Hutchinson. Um, just a, a bit of more light reading. Uh, <laughs> I, I ran cross country in high school and college. And uh, this, this book reads like, um, you know, race, race recaps from over a hundred years ago, um, which probably to the average person reads, reads very dry. But if anybody has, has ever run track or cross country in their life, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to read and, kind of similar to, um, you know, social movements, it's interesting in athletics to see where we've come from and, um, use that as a roadmap where to go. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's very cool, underappreciated part of, part of history, especially if you're interested in college athletics. So you do see a parallel between athletics and social movements. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we're in Pittsburgh. How can you not? <laughs> um, there is a, another pretty interesting book um, called playing through the whistle by I think SL price. Um, and it follows this, a, a string of stories um, about football players in uh, the steel town of, of Aliquippa, which was a company town uh, built around the JNL steel plant along the Ohio River, um, I think 45 miles north or so of, of the city of Pittsburgh. And um, basically every every thread of the 20th century that um, you know we we learn about at like a 10,000 foot level um, gets condensed into this book and in all of these um, all of all of these forces, are thrown upon this town. I mean, whether it's the labor movement in the thirties and the forties with steel strikes and winning workers rights to over policing um, and the war on drugs in the present day, um, you know, to, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was a really, really eye opening book. You know, anybody that says shut up and dribble or, you know, whatever sport equivalent, of that, um, you know, has, has never really paid that close attention to sports, <laughs> you know, sports, sports have always been political. Um, 
you know, Muhammad Ali is another great example of that. And his, um, his approach to the anti-war movement or his, his amplification of the anti-war movement. Um, you know, he's, he's a great example of that. Um, Roberto Clemente's story is, is well, um, obviously Jackie Robinson, everybody knows, uh, the story of Jackie Robinson. Um, there's a great scholar, this is really turning into a sports podcast, huh? <laughs> you ask the guy about, or the guy from Pittsburgh about the uh, politics and sports. There's an excellent uh, professor at the University of Pittsburgh uh, called Rob Ruck. He wrote a book called Race Ball, uh, which is about colonialism um, and, and um, I guess like the, the baseball system, like the minor league system throughout um, you know, the history of, of the MLB. Um, and even, even in Pittsburgh, um, speaking of the MLB, the Negro leagues were recently recognized, um, as legitimate records and, and sort of morphed into the MLBs. And, um, I think frequently, um, about Hannes Wagner, um, you know, with this, this great Pittsburgh baseball star, um, once I think somebody had, told him that um, someone had, had called him the uh, white Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson was uh, a sort of similar player, a great home run hitter uh, that played for among a few other teams, the Homestead Grays, but famously with the Grays. And, um, you know, Hannes Wagner was, was honored to be given that title. And that was in geez, the 1910s, 1920s. And, um, you know, for, you know, a hundred plus years to pass before those guys are even on the same, um, you know, the same records list is, is insane, but, you know, they, um, you know, certainly were, were of the same caliber of, of player, but one was, was just treated differently by, you know, the country that in the city that he was playing in. Um, yeah. So I, I highly recommend uh, Rob Ruck for folks that, that are interested in, uh, the intersection of politics and sports. And actually come to think of it, since we're on a podcast, um, the edge of sports podcast with Dave Zirin is a really good listen as well. Um, that's, that's one of my favorite podcasts and, uh, he, he does a really, really good job of keeping up with current politics and sports. And, um, it's been a minute since I listened to, to that podcast. I might have to give him a listen after we're done here. Sounds good. I'm glad you mentioned podcast. I was thinking about asking, but when we talked about what questions, I didn't want to throw you anything that you didn't expect. So I'm glad you mentioned a podcast. No, yeah. I mean, throw throw anything at me. I'm I'm here for it. I certainly didn't expect to uh, <laughs> go on about about sports. I I certainly love it. I mean, that's um, you know that's that's one of the things that I think is really important is um, you know recognizing how politics impacts people's everyday lives and certainly in, in Pittsburgh, um, you know, folks, folks pay attention to sports. They don't necessarily pay attention to how, um, like powerful the sports teams are and, um, like decision-making in our, in our city, um, particularly in Pittsburgh, I'll give you another sports example and just kind of, kind of run with this, not to, um, hijack the political, um, portion of this podcast, but, um, the city of Pittsburgh, in the late mid late two thousands, um, 
was trying to strike a deal with the Pittsburgh Penguins, the local hockey team, to keep them in town. And part of the deal that was struck was giving the Penguins development rights to the land that they played on. So they, they knocked one stadium down, gave the Penguins rights to the development rights to that land, and then built another stadium right next to it. That was, gee, uh, 2004, 2005, 2006, around, around there. Um, that, that land that they have development rights to sits empty 15 years later. Um, you know, it, it, of course, you know, I, I had, uh, I think mentioned three river stadium earlier, that land, uh, was originally taken from people. Um, the city had used what was called, um, uh, it was the takings clause of the, the fifth amendment, um, eminent domain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Eminent domain, um, to force thousands of people, primarily black people out of their homes and, um, you know, built a sports stadium on top of that. And, um, the, the, the penguins still hold that power over the primarily black neighborhood that's still there, or, you know, what's, what's left of it up the hill. Um, it's, it's sort of unconscionable that we give a, a private company, um, a sports team, no less, um, you know, a, a organization that really doesn't know anything about urban planning or development, um, you know, aside from maybe their own, how it might affect their own monetary interests, um, you know, that a city would willingly hand over that sort of power to them. And, you know, it's, it's clear to me is, is both a, a sports fan and, um, you know, a politics junkie or, um, I, I suppose a candidate, this is, this is not in my district, but, um, just as a, an outside observer, um, you know, it's, it's clear who the city favors in this deal. Um, it's certainly not, you know, the elected officials constituents, um, whose interests they're, they're acting in, um, you know, it's, it's the sports teams and they're treated like these economic powerhouses and, I mean, how long is the NFL season? It's what, 16 weeks, maybe 20 if, if the team is any good. And, um, you know, we're handing over so much power for 20 weeks out of the year and, and, you know, uh, hotel fees and, um, you know, the taxes, the other taxes that come from that. Um, that's, that's not a way to run a city. You know, we, we have to, um, you know, build a, a local economy that can feed people, that can get people from A to B, that can, um, you know, build build um, products and, and goods and, and help people make a decent living <laughs> instead of, uh, you know, kind of rolling over for, um, you know, sort of this, this low-hanging fruit that, that we still can't quite reach. You know, the the average Pittsburgher certainly doesn't see the economic benefit of Steelers games. Um, you know, there, there are much better ways that we can run our cities um, besides just trying to um, play a power game. And this is just like with our electoral system, right? We can, um, you know, build something for ourselves, but that's kind of the trick is we have to do it ourselves, right? You know, regular, regular people like me and you regular, regular sports fans, like, like us. <laughs> Good to hear, Connor. We're glad to have you on this podcast. We thank you for coming, and we wish you all the best in your campaign. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate hearing that. Um, the, this conversation kind of took a, a turn I wasn't expecting, but I'm uh, I'm always glad to talk sports critically. Um, you know, this has been a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, you have yourself a great day and all the best. All right. You too, Andrew. See you later. Bye.